the hell are you supposed to be? I'm comic book movie guy. Congratulations. Batman monopolized the evening news. Huh. My only regret is that I was never able to be out there with you. Dr. Victor Freeze. After his wife contracted a rare disease, Cryosolution mutated his body. He hoped to freeze her until he could find a cure. Living in the shadow of the big bad bat. You don't need him. This is no partnership. Don't. Don't push me right now. Or what? Big bad bat? Yeah, right. Impressive. You honestly don't know, do you? How he's hiding the pain all the time? He's sick. Alfred's not sick. He's dying. So I'm asking you, partner, will you trust me now? You have done everything in your power, but none of us can control death. I love you, Moonman. I must suffer. Gotham will suffer with me! Batman and Robin, 1997. Welcome everyone to series segment, The Scale. Now this is part five. We're on the fifth part already. And we're on to Batman and Robin, 1997. Now this is the sequel to Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever. Uh, We have another new Batman. We have the same Robin and we have a couple of new villains. A couple of familiar faces uh, like Gordon and Alfred, but... We have another new Batman, and we're going to get into a few things on this movie, uh, but most of them will be bad. Now, as many of you know, the Schumacher era of Batman films were interesting. They were something completely different than anybody's ever seen before. Um, You know, we went from a very dark tone with Michael Keaton's version, Tim Burton, uh, with Batman 1989 and Batman Returns. And then we made a nice, cool, collected shift to Batman Forever, which, let's face it, Batman Forever was really good. Uh, Whether you liked Joel's style or not, it was a good movie overall, a good blockbuster uh, cinematic experience. And, you know, to this day, that movie still holds up pretty good. But now we come to Batman and Robin, and 
this movie was a flop. Um, it did not do well at the box office. You know, Warner Brothers, they they advertised it as this big sequel to Batman Forever. And, you know, they almost rushed Joel Schumacher into it a little bit. And I'm going to get into that in my final summary today. Um, just maybe a few points about this movie that you did know and maybe some of you didn't know. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's going to be a lot of fun doing the bads because this movie is horrible, straight up horrible. And I did find some pretty good points in it. So that's going to be an interesting little section as well, uh, talking about the good. But you're definitely going to see how the scale, comic book movie guys, the scale tips over from the amount of bad that we have in this film. So we're going to start with the bad simply because there's so many. So let's get into it here. First off, we have the suit-up scene. Similar suit-up scene to Batman Forever. You know, you got Batman putting on his his suit. We get Robin putting on his suit. Um, but this time they've added something. I, you know, it went from being an intriguing scene and new to our eyes to, okay, we've seen this before. And they've added some ass shots. Some straight-up butt shots of the Cape Crusader and Robin. <laughs> Does it ever not work? It, it just was really silly, and I don't know why they put it in there. It made no sense. It's the same score uh, as Batman Forever. We have the exact same, you know, theme that I put in the last episode for Batman Forever. We have that Batman theme. It doesn't hurt the film to have the same score, but since the film is so different from the last one, it kind of would have been better if they would have just changed the main Batman theme again, you know? It just could have been... There was there was an opportunity there to maybe change it up because they changed everything else in this film except for the score. The Batmobile. Now, the Batmobile in this film is legit trash. Uh, it has, like, this rotating light on it, and the design doesn't have a roof, it's extremely uh, impractical and terrible. It looks like a toy. And, you know, Batman's... George Clooney's Batman is ripping around in that a, a few times in the film. And we're supposed to, you know, get on board with this Batmobile and kind of treat it like it's what Batman uses. It was just really strange and I hated the design for it. Mr. Freeze in costume. Now, Mr. Freeze, as you may know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast as Mr. Freeze. And that's a good casting. That's a great casting, in my opinion. He's perfect for that role. They gave him some of the cheesiest lines on the planet. And for that reason, he sort of doesn't work at all. You know, there's any time Mr. Freeze is in costume... He's bulky, he's weird looking, he just doesn't fit the screen. And, you know, the dialogue that they have for him was equally as terrible. Equally as terrible. He references ice in so many different ways to make for a joke in this film that it just, you know, like, let's kick some ice and, you know, Gotham freeze is over like he uses his own name mr freeze in his dialogue it's really really silly uh 
I hate the lighting in this movie. Now, I talked about, you know, the purple and sort of blue tones of Batman Forever that I loved so much. But in this one, they kind of use a brighter pink and red and bright blue. It doesn't work on screen at all. And it kind of makes for this really silly set. And you can really tell that each one of the sets were not only real, but they were a, like a movie set. You felt like you were watching something being filmed. And I didn't like that vibe. Batman and Robin are terrible ice hockey skaters. Now, the idea to put skates on the bat boots and stuff... I don't know where I stand on this because I do have it as a good point later and you'll find out why. But, you know, the extras in this film, they hired these extreme skaters and they're using sort of Freeze's villains or Freeze's sidekicks as like these hockey skaters and they're wearing hockey equipment. I have here that the that Freeze's thugs are just so lame and how they wear hockey gear and these weird skull masks. It just... You know what? It didn't work for me at all. And it becomes kind of hard to watch Batman and Robin skating around like an ice rink. And, you know, they're clearly not good skaters. Like, it just kind of takes away from who Batman and Robin are, in my opinion. I have here that you can tell Arnold was on set with anyone. He wasn't, he was never on set with anyone besides a couple of scenes with uh, Poison Ivy. And it really bothers me. Like if you, if you kind of know that and you notice it, like every shot of Mr. Freeze in this film is isolated. It's just him. And, you know, it's a very choppy movie in that sense. Anytime Arnold had dialogue, he was basically just filmed by himself, which I thought was just so strange. And he had this double that was so good, apparently, that they couldn't tell the difference between Arnold and the double. So there's actually an interview with Chris O'Donnell where he says he has several scenes with Arnold and he like he has several scenes with Mr. Freeze in the film and he was never once on set with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said they hung out in the trailers, um, you know, they hung out off set, but as far as being on set together, they were never on set together. Now just think about that for a second. You have this main villain and he was never once on set with the other actors. That's pretty wild. And you know, it's a minor detail, but if you pay attention to it, you notice it and you notice how isolated all of the shots of Mr. Freeze are, um, besides a, a couple of scenes. Holy man are the concepts for, for this movie far-fetched <laughs> freezes truck turns into a rocket ship also batman and robin surf back into gotham city from about thirty thousand feet in the air using one ton doors that magically stay on their feet like they kind of eject the doors off the side of the rocket ship and use them as like surfboards how the hell would those stay on your feet i just and, you know, like, they're so high up. You know, they're basically in space. It bothered me. It thoroughly bothered me. 
Batman and Robin are so hostile towards each other throughout the entire film. I thought this was a poor choice. It kind of makes them difficult to watch together because you want them to get along and you want them to be, you know, fighting crime together. Uh, But they're just kind of bickering the whole film, except for the end. And yeah, it just really throws me off. I have here that Freeze looked like a giant butterfly after he evacuates the spaceship. He's got these wings that fly out of his suit and he's got these weird goggles on. You know, I look at the sketches and drawings for this film when they were planning Mr. Freeze, and they're really cool. Like, if you look at some of the concept art for this film, it was really, really cool. But, you know, on screen with everything that they did, apart from Arnold's makeup, which I thought was really good, and I'll get into that later, his suit is terrible, and that whole villain just didn't work at all. Now, Robin has some really lame lines along with the rest of the actors in this movie but one of the worst ones is when he's oh when he's surfing on this door this one ton door from the spaceship he's surfing on it and he's literally surfing on the rooftops of gotham saying things like cowabunga it's so lame i have here uma thurman's acting is over the top and doesn't work for me at all now when i you know, see Uma Thurman on screen. She's great. Like, great to look at. Perfect casting for Poison Ivy. I have no issue at all with anybody who was casted as their characters in this film. I thought, you know, Joel is really good at casting and he knows exactly who he wants and he's stubborn about it. And I like that. But, you know, her acting in this is so over the top. I have here that Dr. Woodrow is completely pointless and irrelevant. Um, And, you know, he kills Dr. Isley, which ultimately she comes back to life as Poison Ivy. But he's just really annoying and a very pointless character. There's a lot of pointless characters in this, which leads me into my next character, which is Bane. Enter the worst character of this film, Bane. He's pathetic. Didn't work, not threatening at all. You didn't need to add him into this movie. I found it was a very poor choice to make him, you know, unable to speak. If you're going to have Bane, he should be talking at least. Like, you know, and he has the odd words. You know, he just makes makes these noises and has one word answers, essentially. The whole film. And, yeah, it, uh, it that is something else. Takes away from the film entirely. Sadly, you'll have to die. And he pushes, Dr. Woodrow pushes Pamela over the table. The table falls on her and she sinks into the earth. Like, that's Isley's origin in this film. Terrible writing, lazy, you know. She falls over a table and then that table full of like a couple of vials from Wayne Enterprises like falls on her. And that like causes the entire earth to seep down and she like disappears, which by the way, that scene where she's disappearing into the earth, you can completely tell she's on like this little platform and it's like going down slowly. (laughs) It's so silly. They did. There's so much in this film that is so silly. George Clooney. Now I have here, this is my note. Okay. 
I like George Clooney a lot. And he did this film a favor by stepping in because he was across the street shooting ER, his doctor show. I appreciate who he is as an actor. He seems like such a laid-back guy, but man, does he not fit this role. And he really, really sucks in this. George has talked about how bad it was for him uh, as well. Like, he, he talked about it in recent interviews. Uh, so this is very okay to say, you guys. He sucked. Let's move on. Because, you know, he's a clear reason why this movie didn't work. He's a, he's a terrible Batman, and the choices that, you know, they made as a crew for him, and, you know, he made with Joel to play a laid-back Batman who doesn't change his voice. You know, they went for a lighter, laid-back guy with no problems. It just didn't work at all. So I'm going to move past that part of it. And I'll talk about George and my good points too, because I did find some. Now, I didn't notice this until I watched this movie with my friend Zane. And we watched this movie. uh, I tried to show him Batman Forever and Batman and Robin once. This was a few months ago. And he watched Batman Forever with me and loved it. But then I turned on Batman and Robin the one time and he's like, man, turn this off. Like, I I don't want to watch this at all, which is so fair. You know, I talk about the casual Batman fan watching these older Batman movies. And, you know, your casual audience can enjoy the other ones. But this one, not so much. I mean, you have to be quite committed to the character to be like, you know, to sit through what this movie is. (laughs) But the reason I bring up Zane is because when we were watching it, we got to this scene and it's where Freeze is in his, uh, his lair, his like snow cone lair. And there's this, uh, sort of girl that's in the lair with them. She's one of the thugs, I guess. And she's wearing like this, like short little skirt. And, you know, she's obviously one of Freeze's like side chicks or whatever. Right. And she comes up to him and she kind of like backs up into him a little bit. Like she just kind of gives him a little booty bump. And it sound, it literally sounds like she farts. So one of my bad notes here is, does that snowflake girl fart on freeze? <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, and screw you, Zane, if you're listening to this, for pointing that out. Because that's all I hear and all I see every time I watch this film. The next note I have here is... Where Freeze calls over his number one thug. He goes, Frosty! And Frosty shows up and he's shivering. You know, it's cold in there. And he goes, yeah, boss. And he said, and Freeze just completely forgets that he's there right away. He goes, Frosty! And he's like, yeah, boss. And he's like, ah, energy. And he like talks to himself about the diamonds. Like, why did you need Frosty there to tell him that? I always hate that scene. Because I just, that's just how bad that, you know, there's no interaction there's no proper interaction between these characters and it just really bothered me barbara gordon all right let's get into barbara here i find her really annoying and it's not entirely her fault again great casting with alicia silverstone i really like her and i think she was the right choice for a barbara gordon but the question becomes was batgirl necessary for this film and the answer is no she's very unnecessary for this film we got like 15 minutes of batman and robin as a duo in batman forever which 14 of those minutes robin was captured and now in the sequel that you're calling batman and robin 
they're not getting along at all and you decide to introduce Batgirl, like they are ready, like they're ready for that or something. I don't know. I just feel like she's not, she's not necessary. And that was the, that was my main problem and issue with Barbara Gordon. Some of Bane's dialogue. So Isley's in the backseat of their car and they're heading to, uh, you know, confront Bruce Wayne for the first time, her and Bane. And she says, Gotham, Gotham Observatory Bane and step on it. And he goes, step. That's a, that's the example for you there. I won't bring up any more of Bane's dialogue for the rest of this podcast if I can help it because it's that bad, but it had to be put in there as a bad note. Now there's a scene where George is uh, with his love interest in the film, who by the way, I'll get to her later, but she's really irrelevant too. She's like barely in the film. Her, Bruce's love interest is in this movie for like two scenes, max. And she, I think she has a total of five or six lines. But the reporter asks Bruce about marriage and I tried to count. I rewinded the scene a few times because Bruce says, uh, marriage, uh, 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 want to help me out here? He says to the girl beside him, he says, uh, a total of four or five times. Like, did you have a stroke, George? What happened with the, what happened with the script there? There's no way that was scripted. And I just like, did he forget the line? Oh, it's so bad. Dr. Lee in this movie. Now, I talked about this in Batman Forever. Dr. Lee, a.k.a. the guy in Batman Forever with a completely different career. In Batman Forever, he's uh, consoling... uh, He's consoling uh, Edward when Edward's sad that his boss committed suicide, when he fakes the suicide of his boss. And he goes, get a grip, Edward. That guy? Well... Somehow, he goes from being this detective in Batman Forever to Dr. Lee, you know, head of the observatory in Batman and Robin. And I just, it's actually really noticeable that those two guys are the same person. I have here as a note, too much cheese to count in this scene with Bruce introducing the telescope. And, you know, that scene speaks for itself if you watch this film. Here's Bruce's love interest is she absolutely towers over him. She's like, she looks like she's like six, four next to him. And you know, you know how I feel about Bruce's love, love interest being taller than him. You know, I talked about Michael Keaton being really short and I don't even know if George Clooney's that short. It's just, they cast such a tall love interest for him and it was a really bad look. Pretty convenient that Batman and Robin were intending on throwing a rainforest benefit party as soon as Ivy comes to to town to confront Bruce at the Gotham Observatory. Insanely lazy writing here. Ivy's reveal. So the first time we see Poison Ivy in costume is very cheesy and weird and very dragged out. Um, You know, she kind of strips out of a monkey costume if you can believe that. I really dislike how infatuated Batman and Robin become with her. And man, Batman's suit in this scene 
is horrendous. The lighting makes it look awful. It's such a weird blue color. And, you know, Clooney's cowl is just ridiculous. It just, I don't know what it is. I think it's the eye holes. I, I really assessed the suit um, when I watched this film this time. Because I knew I hated the suit from the start. So I really decided to take a good look at it in the scenes where it's present. And yeah, I think it's the eye holes for me. It's obviously the color, but it's also the eye slits for Batman cut out. They're so big and boxy and it just makes George's tiny little eyes look so small. And yeah, I don't know. Ivy's line here where she says, forget the geriatric bat, join me. Uh, Ivy, they're both 30. Like, they're not geriatric by any means. Like, what the hell? Batman and Robin arguing and bidding on Ivy in front of a huge crowd of people is embarrassing. I find it like a really embarrassing scene. You know, where they're bidding back and forth. One million. You don't have it. Two million. I'll borrow it from you. Three million. Batman brings out his Batman Forever credit card. Come on. All right, everyone. Chill. 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 That's a line from Mr. Freeze when he shows up in this scene. And I have here... This is what I have, okay? This is the, this is the note. All right, everyone. Chill. 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 And then I say, holy shit, is this movie bad? <laughs> okay, there is so much bad happening in this scene when Freeze arrives. Cheesy sounds, lines, looks from the actors. It's actually crazy to try and keep up. Batman's line of good night is terrible and ineffective. This is one of the lines that they used as a promotional scene in the trailer where Batman punches out the, the criminal through this, like, I don't know, he's holding like this cardboard circle cutout and George's Batman punches straight through it to the point where the shot is you can see Batman through the hole he just made and George looks at him and goes good night and then the vil- or the thug falls over it's just ugh, it's so bad and it doesn't work at all uh oh I have another Bane line here where she's like enough monkey business or she's like yeah we gotta get to work Bane she says enough monkey business we have to get to work Bane and Bane goes Monkey work. And I have here that Bane is so lame, which obviously he is. The fluorescent goons from Batman Forever make a grand return in this one. But this time they go from like the fluorescent, like sort of blue and under blacklight and looking cool to like bathing in highlighters. It's too far and it just didn't work at all along with the rest of the film. There are so many cartoon-like sound effects, like people slipping on banana peels and stuff like that. And when people get punched, thrown, whatever, whatever it is, it literally sounds like I'm listening to a Bugs Bunny show. Ivy drops four beans um, in the floorboards. When she gets to her new sort of lair, when Bane, she uses Bane to take out the Gotham thugs, like the bathing and highlighter thugs that I just described. She uses Bane to take them out. And then that's kind of where she makes her hideout. And 
starts growing her plants. How does she grow an entire jungle, entire forest inside this lair? She drops four little beans and unexplainably grows an entire forest inside the new hideout. Where did she get these magic beans? Like, does she cook these up on her own? Absolutely no explanation for anything in this film. Okay, Bruce's love interest, back to her, uh, is just so unnecessary. I can't even consider it a plot filler because she serves no purpose. She doesn't even serve a purpose to Bruce's life in this. She just mentions she wants marriage the whole time, and she's in a total of like two scenes. I really don't like Poison Ivy's second look, the bright green sort of latex. It just didn't work for me. I, I don't hate the hairstyle, but the suit is really tacky. I much preferred the other outfit when she was introduced, like when she strips out of the monkey, con- uh, the monkey costume. She kind of has like more of like a, a vinyl sort of jumpsuit, and it looks a lot better. Again with the cheesy banter, when Ivy busts Freeze out of Arkham. There's literally too much to record. Just take my word for it. Ivy and Victor jump from about a thousand stories into a small river. I'm sure they would have died on impact. Like, yeah. (laughs) There's not much more to say. They're so high up. Like, Freeze is being kept in, like, the tower at Arkham. And, you know, they ex- they punch a hole in the wall using Bane and they just jump and they jump forever. It's like a thousand stories, like I said, into this tiny little river. Like, who's to say they would hit the river even? Like, great aim from that high and the impact of the water and it's like cold. I don't know. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. So then there's a scene right after that where George... Uh, George's Bruce is standing in sort of the hallway of Wayne Manor and Robin comes jogging out and Chris O'Donnell says, Freeze has escaped. And then him and George slowly jog back and forth to the Batcave. It's such a weird scene because Dick starts jogging and then George like turns around and like slowly jogs to catch up after him. And his run is so funny. Oh yeah. Okay. This, this is a funny note. So Gordon is in this scene talking to Batman and Robin and he says, these two arrived at the airport yesterday. Bane is literally in a trench coat. He's like not in disguise at all. He's wearing like a trench coat and a hat and it's just Bane. Like you just see the full mask and everything. And he's so suspect. Like who took this picture? Who took this picture of them? What a convenient little photo for Gordon to show Batman. It's just, oh man, hate it. I hate it. No beauty, just the beast. What a dumb line. <laughs> like literally Batman and Robin show up and he, they, they can't find Ivy anywhere, but they see Bane. So then Robin goes, no beauty, just the beast. Batman and Robin's lame little fight on the bridge. Batman flips Robin into the ice cream and Robin decides to go solo. Great writing. (laughs) Like, I'm going solo. That's what Robin says to Batman after he gets out of the ice cream bucket that Batman just flipped him in. Nora Freeze is a better character 
than half the characters in this film, and she's cryogenically frozen the entire film. I have here, um, what is that plant that Ivy wants to use to reinvent the planet? It's like the ugliest robotic plant with fangs. And when she rubs her nose on the glass, it's really weird. She's like holding this little vial of it, kind of, and she like rubs her nose in this really weird way up against it and the thing is like obviously just like this little mechanical robot flower that they used that they created it's just a really weird scene that doesn't work at all i find this whole idea that dick wants his own bat signal in the sky to just be so out of character for robin in general it's just a really strange idea to have Robin so jealous of Batman in the sequel where, you know, he didn't even really fight crime with Batman that much in the first one. And now he wants to go solo, like he's that much of an asshole. I just don't believe it, and it's out of character. Weird choice to have Barbara be Alfred's niece instead of being Gordon's daughter. Now, that's just my opinion, that, you know, that's the choice they made, and it does tie in with the film. Like, that's one of the choices they made that actually sort of is explained. I just thought, you have Gordon in the film series already, like he's been there since 1989, why not just use the source material from the comics? But that's just a minor thing for me. I really just dislike Ivy's little dust uh, that she uses to seduce men. She flips open this sort of makeup uh, mirror and blows on it, and this like pink dust comes out and causes all of these guys to fall in love with her. And that's like her, besides her like death kiss, her lips are poison, right? So she kisses guys and they, they die from that kiss. But besides that, I find it to be kind of lazy writing, like just a way to like kind of have Batman and Robin fight over her and all this stuff. Dr. Lee has a line when Freeze shows up in the third act uh, to the Gotham Observatory. He's going to turn the telescope into his freeze gun, and he's going to freeze, you know, Gotham first, and then the world somehow was his crazy plan. So, but this, I just laugh so hard at this stupid line from Dr. Lee where he's like, who is this nutball? And then I say, this is the note. It says, who is this nutball? And then I say, ha, 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 shut up, career changer. Oh, I have another Bane one here. I think this is the last Bane one. He's walking around with these little icicles that are flashing and he drops one at a time and he goes, bomb, walks to the next location, drops another icicle, bomb. God, you suck, Bane. I hate Bane in this movie. Batgirl has her own suit up scene and it's really lame. Just plain doesn't work. Ivy in a third suit now and the most ridiculous of the film bright red with orange makeup and orange accents in her hair. I just, it didn't work. And, you know, her hair got bigger and bigger throughout the film. And, you know, you have such a beautiful woman in uh, Uma Thurman. And they just kind of covered her up with these weird costumes and makeup. And I didn't like that choice. I'm sorry, but rubber lips are immune to your charm. Robin goes to her and finally kisses her, but he's wearing rubber lips. Lazy, lazy, lazy. You aren't the only one who can set a trap, Venus. Great trap, George. You literally walked out from behind a tree. 
Enter Batgirl. You are about to become compost. That's her line. That's her big line for the film. You're about to become compost. And then proceeds to kick Ivy's ass and yay, Batgirl's in the film. Batman has a bat logo on his little saw. This dude loves himself in this film. He loves his toys. And each one of his toys has a specific little bat logo as if he's like, has his own little toy company. I'll get into that later. Ivy checking her hair in the reflection of her knife is so out of character and stupid. Not once does she care about her appearance throughout the entire film. And then all of a sudden, seconds before her capturing, she checks her hair with her little pocket knife. I don't know. Super weird. I don't know why that was in there. Okay. So when Barbara tells Bruce and Dick that she's Batgirl and that she found the cave and all this stuff. Robin says, yeah, we'll just have to kill her. And Batman says, yep, we'll kill her later. We have work to do. And all three of them awkwardly run full speed out of the shot. Wow. This movie is starting to feel so crowded. Uh, Again, we'll kill her later. We have work to do. They proceed to run off somewhere and change into these high-tech suits. Like, how long would it take to go back to the Batcave, change into these, like, third-act high-tech suits? And why are you changing in the first place? There was no real purpose behind the suit. And, like, Batgirl, she wears her first suit for, like, a total of, like, two minutes, if that. She's got, she shows up in her suit and, you know, beats Poison Ivy, two minute scene, and then boom, she's out of that suit and she's got this other suit that they had just waiting for her. Ay ay ay. These heaters will thaw them. Great job, George. He's got the little bat heaters with these bat logos on it and he like turns it on and it flashes red and he, he literally says that as he like sets them down. It's like, These heaters will thaw them. Yeah, I hope they do. Holy, this third act sucks. Now, three heroes solve a massive equation in about three seconds to decide how to save Cotham. Bane's death scene is terrible. Robin just unplugs him and he shrinks. Pathetic end to a pathetic villain. Okay, here's the big build-up to the final scene of the movie, you know, you got the final fight between Batman and Freeze, and here's the line. Hey, Freeze, the heat is on. The heat is on. And he punches Freeze, and Freeze goes flying over the back of the telescope. Boring and terrible. It bothers me that they use the exact same third act finale as Batman Forever, where they're falling, and Batman has to save them before they fall to their death. Barbara and Dick have terrible dialogue together. Barbara is so sassy towards uh, Dick the whole time that they're trying to thaw the city. Uh, Barbara, you wouldn't even be here if Dick didn't save you from the reckless motorcycle race that you were going through in the first place. So maybe don't be so sassy to him. How does Batman capture perfect footage of Ivy saying that she unplugged Nora Freeze? Like, Did he have a secret camera stored somewhere? Is that what they're trying to say? It's like the same footage that they used for the film. 
<laughs> we're supposed to believe that Batman somehow has that footage now and it's on his utility belt. I don't know. Lazy, lazy writing. This shot of Batman annoys me because the eye holes are so big that I can see where the eye makeup ends. Oh, yes. Okay, so when he's in the... When he's in his final suit, it's got those silver accents. And, you know, the cowl's a little bit better for George. It fits him a little bit better. It looks a little bit better. But the eye holes for the bat suit are so large. And the way that they're filming him, it's it's kind of a shot from down below as if it's from Freeze's perspective. Because Freeze is lying on his back when he's defeated. And the shot is like looking up at George Clooney in the bat suit. And you can see where the line ends on his eye makeup. It's so bad. Just, like, the attention to detail is non-existent in this film. Uh, The final three come together at the end of the film as their alter egos, Barbara, Bruce, and Dick. And Barbara says, partners. Dick says, partners. Bruce says, partners. And then Alfred says, we're going to need a bigger cave. No, we won't. It's huge. It's massive. You're telling me they can't fit one more person in there? Let alone a girl? Like a woman? I just... Ridiculous writing, guys. Ridiculous. Final bad note. Three heroes now running away from the bat signal in the final scene. That scene that I... Like one of the only scenes I didn't enjoy in Batman Forever is the ending to this one and they added a hero. So it's even more of a crowded shot. (laughs) bad ending to a bad film and there you go that's the bads that's the comic book movie guy bads for batman and robin now we're going to work our way into the goods now you'll actually be surprised i do have quite a few goods for this film and my whole perspective is going to change from negative to positive so stick along with me and let's find the goods of batman and robin first good note is that i love the batman logo frozen in ice it reminds me of sub-zero the animated movie it's kind of like uh the new batman logo and it's just frozen over and i i really like that and i thought it worked perfect with the score and everything makes for the makings for a good sequel right off the bat robin and his bike are badass way better suit for robin and it's nice to see chris o'donnell back familiar face Gotham's architecture is cool and there's a lot better CGI in this film I mentioned a scene in Batman Forever where they CGI Gotham City in one scene there and it is just terrible CGI so you know two years later we get this film and the CGI is much better Mr. Freeze's lines now I said He has so many cheesy lines and it's just terrible and all this crap. But guess what, guys? The lines have aged into this sort of comedic fun thing for me. I can watch this movie and enjoy it because his lines are so cheesy that they turn into this like fun little thing to watch. (laughs) I choose to watch this movie in a light that makes me happy. And Mr. Freeze definitely makes me happy. And he makes me laugh. I like the scene with Batman. Uh, Okay, here we go. So I like the scene with Batman and Robin uh, clicking their boots together and the blades come out uh, of the skates. It's a really cool idea just for the simple fact that like 
Mr. Freeze is a villain who makes ice. And well, what does that mean? Well, maybe they could skate around. Like, I see where the idea came from. It didn't work when Batman and Robin are skating around because they're kind of awful skaters and it just looked silly. But I do really like the scene where they click their heels together and the bat boots, these blades shoot out of the bottom. I don't hate the line uh, where Freeze says, well, Batman, what will you do? Chase the villain or save the boy? You have 11 minutes to thaw the bird. I like how he refers to him as the bird. That's really cool. Uma Thurman is a perfectly casted Poison Ivy. She's gorgeous. I love the look. There was a lot of potential there. I like the scene where they show Victor's uh, origin. You know, Bruce and Dick are in the Batcave and they're looking at footage from Freeze's laboratory, from Victor Freeze's laboratory. And um, they actually take the time to explain why Freeze is seeking out the diamonds in Gotham City to power his suit. And they explain how his suit works. So that was, you know, that was really good. And that was an important scene. Fun fact, Uma Thurman and the actor who played Dr. Woodrow had to do the death kiss scene about eight times to get the take Joel wanted. There's a really funny interview with the actor who played Dr. Woodrow. And he said jokingly, it was a real shame that he had to kiss Uma Thurman eight times in a row. Okay, possibly the only place where this film actually excelled was Freeze's interactions with his wife in the cryo chamber. I found that score to be so beautiful, powerful, really strong acting from Arnold, and good script writing. I also really enjoy Victor uh, without his suit on. I really like the eyes and the skin in sort of like the cryo blue. Um, he, he's kind of like, it's kind of like he's frozen over. And for me personally, the eyes were the best choice. They give him these sort of like crystal looking lenses, like contact lenses. And I thought that look without him in the actual Mr. Freeze suit um, was a great look. It paid off. And like I said, that score when he's, you know, walking towards Nora in the cryo chamber, phew, powerful and Arnold did a really good job I can't change the choice to put Batgirl uh, in this film but for the time this movie was shot she was very well casted in Alicia Silverstone her acting wasn't great but she was my choice for sure for Batgirl back then Freeze watching old footage of him and his wife this is what I mean only scenes that really work in this film Arnold sells the sadness really well and the score matches perfectly. You know, he cries at one point and the tear sort of freezes on his cheek and then, you know, falls off his cheek, essentially. It gets kind of brushed away, but still, I thought that was a good scene. Poison Ivy is gorgeous, as, she's, as she should be. Uh, just couldn't be introduced, just could have been introduced a little bit better, in my opinion. Okay, possibly my favorite scene in the film is the car chase on the giant statue um, on the architecture in Gotham. Batman disables the engine of Robin's bike, and he screams at Batman on the ledge. I really like this scene. It actually, um, I feel like Chris O'Donnell had had he given some had he been given some proper direction to play Robin a little heavier, you know, if you would have played like a darker Robin, um, could have been really awesome. I decided that Robin is actually my favorite character in this film. After this, 
like viewing of the film, I decided, you know, Robin is, Robin's my guy in this one. His suit, his acting, basically everything about Chris O'Donnell in this film is fine. Um, it's everything surrounding him that ruins it for me. It helps that Batman's Bruce Wayne is terrible in this film. The design for Arkham is really good. I like how they made it um, into this huge tower. When Dick follows Barbara to the bike race, I love his bike helmet. You know, it's the same Robin design from Batman Forever, but they kind of modified it a bit to be a bit more modern, and it looks really cool. I like that he saves Barbara from when she falls off the ledge. Uh, she kind of gets into this bike wreck, and she slips off the side of the building, and, you know, he's there to save her. And that's the whole reason he's really there, to watch over her, which I really liked. It's a cool scene. Again, Chris O'Donnell is my favorite character in this film. He has some cheesy lines, but... I really do like his look, and it was just nice to see him back as Robin. Victor Stuck in Arkham builds a small ice sculpture of his wife out of ice and an old clock. It's a really cool scene, and again, you have that beautiful score for Nora Freeze, and I love it. I, I kind of like this line. This is a, an example of how cheesy the lines are, but I have it here in one of my goods because I thought it actually landed really funny. Uh, you know, Robin and Batman are investigating the scene where, uh, at Freeze's lair and Poison Ivy was there at one point and, you know, they're talking Robin and Batman and Robin says, you know, I'm, t I'm totally over her. And Batman says, me too, totally. <laughs> and, uh, Batman says, nice stems though. And Robin says, buds too. <laughs> <laughs> and then Batman says, yeah, those are nice. So nice stems though. Buds too. Yeah, those are nice. Only line that I actually genuinely laughed at. I thought it was a smart choice to have Alfred be sick with the same disease as Freeze's wife, McGregor syndrome. Very rare, very rare display of good writing here. Um, you know, the whole idea that Alfred is dying throughout this film was definitely an idea that I didn't mind. And, you know, it, it makes for a nice heartfelt scene between uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred that would have sort of landed a lot better if we would have had Val Kilmer back in this film. But nonetheless, it was a heartfelt scene, and I thought it was a really smart choice to have Alfred be sick with that same disease. And ultimately, Freeze helps Batman at the end by giving him the cure, which I really like that too, and I'll get to that. I hate that I like this scene, but God damn it, I do, guys. The scene where Barbara guesses the password to Alfred's files and the Batman and Robin logo comes up. I just thought that was really cool. It's cheesy and lazy once again, but I really like it. You know, the score's there. She's trying to hack Alfred's file, and she finally gets in. And, you know, I especially like the shot of the emblems reflecting off her face once she's able to, um, when she's able to hack in. And this is where she ultimately decides that, hey, I'm going to be Batgirl. You know, I watched the scene of George talking to Alfred as Alfred is dying. And I actually feel a bit of that heart. I don't know why, I just do. George does well in this scene, but imagine if it was still Keaton or Kilmer. So that's what I was talking about before. And how big of a payoff that scene would have been. 
had it been one of the former actors. So I'm asking you, friend, partner, brother, will you trust me now? Only decent line from Bruce the whole film when he's trying to convince Robin uh, just before he goes to the Robin signal that Ivy sets up for him to ultimately give him the death kiss. Bruce obviously convinces Robin behind the scenes to wear the rubber lips and he convinces Robin that Ivy is bad. (laughs) Why am I starting to enjoy some of Freeze's one-liners? This movie like hypnotizes you to like them by the end. Uh, Freeze's teeth glow a sort of blue color at the end of the film, which I really like. Like when his suit is like supercharged, there's like a, a glow to his teeth, which I really like. The third act suit for Batman is better than the other suit, but I still just hate Batman in this film, and that's not good. Um, you know how I mentioned in previous episodes how I have moments where I say to myself, that's Batman. I don't have one of those in this film, and that's the part that really bothers me the most, but I do have it as a good in here that that third act suit is a little bit better than the other one. Best Batman and Freeze scene is when... This is actually a really good scene. I got a little chill. Like, this isn't a Batman moment, but it's more of a freeze moment. The bombs go off. So Bane was planting these little icicle bombs throughout, and Freeze kind of uses that as, like, a backup plan if things go wrong. And, yeah, he ultimately blows up the facility, and as he falls off the ledge, and he says, Bombs away, Batman. And he flips off. And he presses the button and it starts to explode like the observatory starts exploding. And then Batman jumps off the side of the telescope and Freeze yells like he lands on the floor, right? And he he yells back up and he says, freeze in hell, Batman. And then Batman slow motion dives off the telescope. It's a really cool scene. I feel as though Arnold's acting in this scene. I give him props. It's genuinely sad. And his dynamic with Nora was the best part of the film. So this is the scene where, you know, Freeze is lying on the ground, you know, his suit is broken and he's kind of slowly suffocating because he needs that cold air. And Batman's talking to him and, you know, they come to an understanding in this scene. And Freeze thinks that Nora Freeze is dead because Ivy told him that Batman unplugged her. But it was actually Ivy that unplugged her. And we find out that Batman got there in time to plug her back in, keep her safe. And he tells Freeze that. And, you know, he says, I'm asking you, Victor Freeze, will you help me? Help me cure McGregor syndrome. And, you know, Freeze ultimately, he's just saying, like, she lives, she's alive, and he's crying. And I felt that from Arnold. I thought that was really, really well done. Ivy and Freeze are better in their final scene together than in the entire movie. If they would have just written the characters like they did for that last scene where Freeze is her cellmate at Arkham, it could have been a lot better. Like, you know, Freeze shows up and he... It's completely dark in there. And Ivy's sitting there plucking this random flower and she's going, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And then all of a sudden you hear the the door unlock. And then Freeze is standing there in the darkness and just the blue from his suit lights up. And he goes, surprise, 
I'm your new cellmate, and I'm here to make your life a living hell. <laughs> and then partner that with a really powerful score that they had going. It was probably the best scene in the movie for those two villains. And like those two villains together. And I thought that was, that was great. They should have done that the whole movie. <laughs> All right. That's the last bad or that's the last good. I keep going to bad because this movie was terrible. Okay. That was the last good. Let's get into our conclusion. Batman and Robin 1997, a sequel to a revamped franchise, another new face for Bruce Wayne and Batman, new villains with a few familiar faces. Was this sequel necessary or perhaps just a studio looking to profit off of another Batman film? Let's talk about why this film was so bad and how we got here. But first, let's tally the comic book movie guy good versus the comic book movie guy bad. Comic book movie guy good points, 29. That's right. You heard correctly. There are 29 good points in this film that I could find. And that's quite a bit, in my opinion, (laughs) compared to, you know, what I thought is a very terrible film. I was able to find almost 30 points. So that's pretty good. Comic book movie guy, bad points, 72. Now that tops the all-time bad for the series segment, The Scale. Um, And the first film for the Batman franchise that I have more bad points than I have good points. So there you go. That's a new, uh, that's a new stat for you. And you know, something to consider when you're watching a movie, there is still some good points in a very bad movie. And sometimes the good outweighs the bad. So the question becomes, does the good for this film outweigh the bad? And in this case, I would say, No, the bad outweighing the good makes this film kind of difficult to watch at times and not for everyone. So there you have it. This is our first film in this series that I'm doing where the scale is sort of tipped in the opposite direction. The comic book movie guy good does not outweigh the comic book movie guy bad. So this is a very rare scenario and the very first one that I've had where I can honestly say, you know, you don't have to watch this film because it is kind of bad and my bads outweigh my goods. So I want to get into the final summary here because I'm going to talk about what might have happened with this film and what has come to light in the recent years. So let's get into the final summary. Batman and Robin is a sequel that should have never seen the light of day. This film was difficult to watch for many reasons. There are so many bad points that it sort of makes you become uninterested in the plot that hardly exists or even commits to itself in the first place. I felt bad for director Joel Schumacher, who made such an intriguing debut into the Batman franchise with Batman Forever. It felt like he really drew the short end of the stick with this one. So why was this film so bad? What happened? Well, there's a few things to unpack here in this final summary. Some you may already know, or some you may not. Information has come out over the years that the studio actually released the toy line designs for this film before principal photography even started, so Joel and his team had to comply with the design of the toys and make them work on screen. Imagine how hard of a task that would have been. That's why things like the Batmobile, having such an impractical design was so apparent in the film, why Batman was a strange blue color, and why the villain suits were straight up tacky. 
You can't design these bright, colorful toys before seeing if the costume designs work or the vehicle designs look good on screen. And it's essential that the toy line matches the movie. What a tough spot to put your director and film crew in as a studio. Now, why recast Batman? Well, Val Kilmer was also signed on to return for this film, but his agent double booked him for another movie that he had already signed the paperwork for. So last minute, they had to cast the most important character of the film. I applaud George Clooney. He would film his hit TV series ER during the day, an eight-hour day, and then he would come and hop on the set of Batman and Robin and jump into what I can only imagine is an uncomfortable bat suit uh, to film this movie, which, by the way, Warner Brothers advertised as a hit blockbuster that was coming out. So his exposure as an actor could have made or break his career. Quite the risk. This movie, quite frankly, never had a chance at succeeding. The screenwriting was incredibly lazy, and the one-liners completely fell flat to the point that Batman and Robin is actually considered one of the worst movies of all time. While Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze had a cool makeup design and a story arc with his cryogenically frozen wife, Nora, that was compelling at times, his one-liners straight-up and straight-up ridiculous design makes his character just silly. Uma Thurman's beauty was fun to look at, but her bad over-the-top acting threw her looks right out the window for me. Alicia Silverstone was no doubt the right choice to play Batgirl, but there's just simply no room for her in this film. And for that reason, she becomes an irrelevant character that they tried to make relevant, and the trio of heroes became overcrowded and annoying. Chris O'Donnell returning as Robin was somewhat of a bright spot in this film for me. And I really... Uh, and really the only character that worked at times for me design-wise. I did like his suit better in this film than Batman Forever, and while not all of his lines land for me, he was a familiar face that I needed to get through this viewing of this film. As a kid, I enjoyed this film, but it didn't age well for me. Batman Forever was an example of a film that I enjoyed as a kid, but did age well for me. So those movies do in fact exist, I can see why the studio had been afraid to touch Batman for eight years after this atrocity was released. Comic Book Movie Guy Final Score, Batman and Robin 1997, 3 out of 10. So there you have it. That's the scale on Batman and Robin. It tipped in the bad direction today. Now, next week, we're going to be going in on the Dark Knight Trilogy. Part 6 of Comic Book Movie Guy The Scale, Batman Begins. 2005. Now, we're going to be talking about all of the goods and all of the bads in the Dark Knight trilogy. And we're going to discuss why the Nolan verse is maybe not for me. Is it for you? We'll find out. And tune in to find out what the goods and the bads are for Comic Book Movie Guy in one of the most sought after trilogies of all time. Thanks for listening today, guys. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. This has been a lot of fun, and I'll see you next week on the series segment, The Scale. From your secret friend. Who? Having a clue. Let's play a game, just me and you. 
any of this mean anything to you?